The Brad Sessmat Show, broadcasting live. Off we go into a new week. Thanks for being with us. We will be joined by Seth Joyner, the original NFL Network analyst number one. He was their very first analyst. Seth, of course, former Cardinal and in Philadelphia doing his weekly, he's actually doing more than weekly, he's doing this a lot um, around the NFL and around the Eagles. And love having Seth on because he's very technical as we're down to the final four teams in the NFL playoffs. And he can look ahead to uh, what we expect to happen with the Ravens and the Chiefs and the Lions and the 49ers. Well, Seth Joyner with us. John Wilner will be with us. Who got the better end of the deal? University of Arizona or University of Washington? Who got the better coach? Who's got the better long-term projection? Is it Brennan or is it Fish? Uh, We will get into that with John Wilner. Also, this conversation about how Chip Kelly is not happy at UCLA and what that may mean is he looking at bolting. Uh, Pac-12 basketball, much more we do on the college platform with John Wilner, and we do it well, and we do it every week. Opening comments are brought to you by Desert Financial Credit Union. Desert Financial Credit Union taking care of you, taking care of your business, as always. That is Desert Financial Credit Union. We uh, really enjoyed emceeing their Breaking Barriers lunch. They had 15 kids that were given iPads and scholarships. It was beautiful up at Top Golf. Enjoyed doing that on Saturday. We appreciate Desert Financial Credit Union and their support. Had a great weekend. A great weekend. My wife had never golfed TPC Scottsdale. I was asked to MC an event on Friday for Ability 360, one of the best kept secrets in town, disabled athletes, handicaps, and all of that. And um, they asked me to MC. And I said, sure. Ability 360, terrific people. So I have a foursome. And in that foursome, I invited my better half. I invited Cody Cameron. Those of you that see our high school content, you'll see Cody pop up. He's over at Arizona Varsity too. Cody is really fun to golf. He's just fun. And then a friend of mine that we met in China when I toured China back in 1999 with KTAR. took like 30 Diamondback fans went to China. True story for 21 21 days. And uh, Danny Spittler. So it was great. So it's the four of us at 70 degrees. We get into 16. We have a caddy. My wife's just blown away by everything. Guys, she steps up to the tee box on 16. We started this tournament on 14. So it's not like she had a lot of holes to warm up. Drops it on the platter like, I don't know, six, eight feet away from the hole. It's very, golf is very frustrating in that regard. Saturday, I watched playoff football, as I'm sure many of you did. Sunday, I watched playoff football, as I'm sure many of you did. Uh, my takeaways from the weekend, Baltimore is the best-looking team right now. We'll talk with Seth Joyner about it in a few minutes. They are. You can't tell me otherwise. Anybody, I, I get fandom. I understand fandom. No, the 49ers look the best. The Lions look the Yeah, okay. I don't... Uh, fortunately, fortunately for me doing this, I don't care. I just look at it and watch the four teams and it's okay. Anybody going to be able to control Lamar Jackson, man, the Ravens defense punishes people. What did the Ravens do against the 49ers when they played in December? Kick the hell out of them. That's what they did. It doesn't mean it's going to happen again, but of these four teams left, um, and it's interesting to see how Kansas city, 
there's this faction that just wants the Chiefs to lose so badly so that they can see Taylor cry. Or we don't have to see Jason Kelty shirtless. Tell me that that wasn't the most entertaining aspect. I loved it. I loved it. I don't got to stick to football. Let me just fill you in on something. The NFL is about gambling and gambling and gambling. There's a little bit of fandom in certain parts, but most people are doing this if it's legal in their state. Um, and then there's just the circus and the sideshow. There is no circus and sideshow unless you consider Jim Harbaugh and John Harbaugh supporting one another. Baltimore just rolls in and beats you up. 49ers, it's, there's this want and desire by some to just say, see, Brock Purdy's not that good. Brock Purdy's not that Did you see that ball? Oh, he got lucky. He got lucky. Yeah, that's why you're sitting on the couch and he's not. Um, just we're really clear on that. Um, Detroit's interesting to me because, you know, Jared Goff was on the scrap heap. Nobody gave him a shot. And you look at the Lions, and they drafted so well. If you're a Cardinal fan, look at what the Lions did this year in the draft. Just go look at it. And that's why they're still playing football. Is it Dan Campbell because he has great coordinators alongside of him? Or is it Dan Campbell's a really good coach? Um, you know, I, I enjoy watching this, this story around Detroit, the city of Detroit. Ford Motor Company's got to be thrilled. You know why we have the Lions on every Thanksgiving? I'll tell you why. Because Ford spends so much money that that's behind the scenes. They'll say that's not, but it is. Ford's been supporting the NFL for years, so this is great for them. Um, so, you know, the four teams that are left standing. And I'll just even go back to Green Bay. If you're a Packer fan, you have to be thrilled today. You have to be thrilled today. If you're a daddy baller and a mommy baller of your high school kid, and it's, oh, well, we're just going to, we're, we're going to get UCLA, and we're going to get USC, and we're going to get Michigan, and we're going to get Alabama, and, and on and on and on. And it just wears me out. And the kid's like 5'10", and his GPA is like 2.6, and he throws for a few yards. <laughs> the only way you're going to get those schools is if you buy a ticket to go watch them play. So when I watched Jordan Love the other night from Utah State, and I see Josh Allen yesterday from Wyoming, if you are still one of those that is in big brand mode and you're going to ship your kid from school to school to school to school to school to school, let me go on to school to school to school to school to school. I was hearing the other day, there's a kid here. Uh, he's on his sixth high school. He's not here anymore. He was at one, two, three high schools here, and then three more out. I'm not even going to give them the courtesy of the name, but it's just crazy, crazy. Uh, so it's, it's fun to see the, uh, the, the up-and-comers, the new names, the, the guys that came from the least recruited. Josh Allen wrote letters. He had to go to JUCO. He went to Wyoming, and here he is improving so many people wrong. I love that. Just love that. Bill's Mafia is cool. Love Bill's Mafia. Feel bad for, you know, the, the Scott Norwood. Jim Nance called it right. Um, there it was. Buffalo fans are used to seeing this. And now you look at the Bills and say, okay, is it time to tear it down somewhat? Is this run about over? It's not with your quarterback, but at other positions. 
Um, and in Kansas City space, you know, Patrick Mahomes just continues to amaze. If you're one of those that doesn't like him, that's fine. Knock yourself out. But if you don't admire the way that he goes about his business and just wins and competes, plays hard, team in January, I don't care what happens in in uh, in September and October and November. I don't. How does a team play down the stretch? Like the Cardinals beat Dallas earlier this year. What did it mean? Nothing. They didn't make the playoffs. That's what it meant. You know, if you're going to sit there and say, what a great season, that's like the ASU U of A people that say, as long as we beat U of A or ASU, then it's a great season. And you go one in 10. Nonsense. Um, But I am looking forward to both games. I think Detroit at San Francisco has the chance of being the blowout. But the final four, like I always believe the championship weekend games are better than the Super Bowl. Most often, the championship weekend games, what we're walking into next Sunday, are better than the Super Bowl because everybody is this close to making it to the Super Bowl. And then there's all the hype and all the buildup and players being pulled 100 different directions. Then there's just the we made it to the Super Bowl versus the desperation. And yeah, you want to win the Super Bowl, obviously, and there's desperation there, but you have all these outside noises and distractions that I've just seen and covered through the years. And by the way, it's in Vegas this year on top of it all. So it was an entertaining weekend. I I saw where Zach Ertz signed today with the Lions. They can do that. Zach leaving the Cardinals, got himself healthy. Lions beat up. Zach Ertz signs on the practice squad. They could elevate him and have him be ready for the 49ers on Sunday. That can still happen. So that's the NFL stuff. Um, You know, the Jason Kelsey, Taylor Swift, I was going to do a drinking game with my wife last night. I don't know if CBS is intentionally, and I'm sure every network is different. They weren't showing as much, but man, when Jason Kelsey is shirtless and holding up kids and taking autographs and photos and pounding a beer shirtless behind Taylor Swift, who's cheering and gets caught on camera, the executives love that. When the numbers come out today, they will be obscene. The days of what happens on the field for 60 minutes and that's it are over. They are, and uh, I'm one of those that I enjoy my football, um, but to think that things like Jason Kelsey don't add times 20, the other sports can't compete with that. Like the NBA will show who's sitting in the stands courtside. They will do that. Um, And what was it the other night? Who was it? Emma Stone walks behind the sun's bench and says something to Grayson Allen, and he gets picked up. And so people are just fascinated by that. But it's different when it's, uh, I don't know, it's Travis. It's Travis's brother's hanging out in a suite with Taylor and he rips his shirt off, pounding beers and climbing into the crowd. And before the game starts, he's pounding stuff out of a bowling ball and it's on social media far more than, what do you think is going to happen? Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes? And that's what we used to do. We used to just talk about matchups. It's not the way it works anymore in this industry on a lot of fronts. I still try to talk about the the game stuff, but the fun part of it, yeah, I I embrace it. Life's really hard for people, and this is their entertainment and escape. So if it's not just about football, because there are those people that stick to football, Brad. I don't know. I think Jason Kelsey shirtless is pretty funny. Buffalo, actually, pounding beers. Um, I watched the Suns game last night. Durant had 40. 
Frank Vogel said something interesting after the game was over about how Kevin Durant and his defense, and it made me lean in a little bit. You know, it's January NBA basketball, which there's not many reasons to lean in. It's just kind of sort of something to fill time on broadcast till we get to around the late part of March. Um, but when Vogel was talking about how Durant and his defense and how he's really stepped forward, it may have been at the Clippers game when he wanted to guard Kawhi and then guard LeBron and all that stuff. And they're playing some teams they should just flat beat. Halliburton didn't play last night. Sun should beat Indiana. That's it. They have the Bulls tonight. Okay, it's a back-to-back, but it's the Bulls. And it's at home. Booker on Friday scores 52. I'm on my back patio enjoying a beverage, enjoying a cigar, watching – what was I watching? I was watching the the end of the Celtics-Nuggets game, and I flipped over just to see what was going on with Booker because he had a huge first quarter. And the Nuggets-Celtics game ends, and they've got like 15 minutes on NBA countdown to fill over on ESPN. It's their Friday night package. They're filling before the Lakers game. Lakers are playing Brooklyn. Okay, great matchup. Devin Booker finishes with 52, and there's not one mention. <laughs> there's not one highlight until like 20 seconds to go and show. They put up one play of Devin and say, oh, yeah, by the way, he scored 52. And you wonder why he is so far down when it comes to the NBA All-Star voting. And you just wonder at what point will Devin Booker and his circle say, you know, you've been in Phoenix a long time. You're never going to get the national respect or attention unless you're in L.A. or unless you're in New York. You can be mad at me about this one, but I'm right. And the, uh, the idea of one player staying with their team from start to finish in pro sports, tell me how often that happens in this day and age. How many teams has LeBron been on again? I'm just quite not sure. So just when I see little things like that that are actually big things to somebody's brand, Like, really? You're not even close to being an all-star game starter voted by the fans? Network doesn't even pay really attention to you when you score 50? Or is it just a producer who wasn't paying attention? Which may be the case. So, Seth Joyner standing by. Then John Wilner. We join you here on the stream. We have our four TV shows that we produce. One of them across the country. uh, That is a sports and entertainment type show. Uh, we have our Bleacher Talk show that Jordan Spurgeon, Claudia Collins co-host. I have Football AZ that'll be tonight over on Arizona Family Sports. And we have 360 AZ as well. We're back with Seth Joyner next. As always, we're thrilled to have the original, the very first NFL Network analyst. I consider a friend on top of that, more importantly, and that is Seth Joyner, SethJoyner.com. He knows all, tells all. He, of course, the former. You're in the Hall of Fame with the Eagles, right? Yeah. 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 Eagle Hall of Famer, Arizona Cardinal. We knew him here when he was a Phoenix Cardinal. And he is at, uh, at Seth Joyner on his social, SethJoyner.com, uh, breaking down the NFL. We're really happy that Seth decided to come on with us because we understand the Eagles want him to be the next defensive coordinator. Now that they have an opening and you've just been so nice to them, friendly everything's peachy we had a great season no 
I think one thing's for sure, though I'm not getting a job neither in Philadelphia nor in Arizona, okay? <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to keep my day job, Brad. Yeah. You're, you're doing really well with your day job, I might add. Um, Seth Joyner with us for a couple of minutes. All right, so let's dive into this. You saw the 49ers because the Eagles played them. You saw Kansas City because they played them as well. Uh, we are down to the final four teams the best team standing, in your opinion, right now is of the four. Which one is it? The Baltimore Ravens. I think they're the most well-rounded team. Um, I get, you know, Patrick Mahomes. You cannot discount that guy and what he can do with his team and Steve Spagnuolo on defense. You know, they've been inconsistent, but have gotten hot at the right time. Um, but by far, in my opinion, the the Baltimore Ravens are the most complete um, and thorough team. I'm really excited to see this Baltimore versus Kansas City matchup. Do we see a blowout in either one of these games? Um, I don't think so. I think it'll be tight. It, it, a, a lot depends on, I think, with San Francisco, Detroit, a lot's going to depend on whether, you know, San Francisco can get out to a lead. If they can get out to an early lead, there's a potential for a blowout there because now, pass rush becomes an issue. Um, I was astounded that Todd Bowles decided not to be more aggressive towards Jared Goff yesterday. I mean, he just let him sit back there and just carve him up all day long. And you know, he, he blitzed Jalen Hurts um, during their 50, 56%, 57% of the time. Um, so that's either a ringing indictment, you know, on Nick Sirianni and his offense and Jalen Hurts or it's a huge amount of respect for um, Ben Johnson and Jared Goff and that offense. Seth Joyner with us. We talk about the final four that's left standing, the AFC and NFC championship games. You can find Seth's content on SethJoyner.com. His show is must-see on a weekly basis, does great content there. When you look at Detroit and San Francisco, let's just break it down and from a distance – the Lions defense getting after Brock Purdy. We saw Purdy the other night struggle at times. Was it the rain? Was it a glove? Was it just not being on the mark? What do you make out of that matchup? Defense Detroit against Brock Purdy in that offense. Well, you know, Christian McCaffrey is the linchpin. Um, and if Debo Samuels is healthy, um, the combination of those two, because they're interchangeable parts, um, you can put Debo in the, in the slot, you can put Debo in the backfield. You can put Christian in the slot. You can put him in the backfield. Um, so they do a lot of different things that make you prepare for a lot of different, a lot of different stuff. But a lot of what they do is very similar because they just have interchangeable parts. The key is going to be, you know, getting the run game under control for Detroit, and then understanding that Brock Purdy is a rhythm and timing passing quarterback especially when you keep him in the pocket. Now, he can improvise. He can get out of the pocket, reset his feet, you know, and make just about any throw that you need or you want him to make. But a lot of what he does when you look at it is very rhythm and timing oriented. And if, you know, you, I saw it in the game against, um, gosh, it like leaks my mind right now who they just beat. <laughs> so, um, so Green Bay, Green Bay. Green Bay. Saw it against Green Bay. One of the linebackers got a chip on George Kittle on the end route and Kittle in the game. And Kittle was late getting to his spot, but Brock let the ball go 
because he understands the timing of when George was supposed to be there. That was very telling for me. And if um, San Francisco's defense is smart, then they're going to look at it, you know, well, if Detroit's defense, I say, is smart, they're going to look at that and understand that they've got to get a, a, a chip, a hand, you know, on these on these receivers for San Francisco to to throw them a step or two off, throw the rhythm off. Because if they can throw the rhythm off, now you make Brock Purdy have to wait. And he doesn't like to wait. He likes to throw the ball on time, and he likes to throw the ball on rhythm, and he's very accurate, and he does it very well. Flipping around, Jared Goff's been a story, Seth. A lot of people threw him on the trash heap and said his career is over. Now he's at Detroit. Not a bunch of household names, but they are so productive and go about their business. 49er defense versus Detroit offense. Well, listen, Jared Goff is going to see a lot of um, – they're going to see a lot of zone coverage against San Francisco. That's who they are, and that's what they do. They don't blitz a lot. Um, they don't send five-man pressures. They don't do a lot of that. They are fast. They are efficient at what they do, and they are very aggressive, especially at the linebacker position. Now, the they've got some issues, in my opinion, at corner. It's just that you know you don't get an opportunity very often to exploit that because of their pass rush and because of you know their production on the offensive side. Um, if Detroit can get them to that place. Um, then they're gonna have they're, they're gonna have some they're gonna have some success. Listen, Jared Goff can make every throw there that there is. But I've said and I will always stand by it. Ever since he came out of college, I said the same exact thing. You know, he's pressure averse. And if you can if you can get to the point where you know you're aggressive enough with him, I mean you saw it yesterday, you know, <laughs> there was a play in that game where they got to him because he can't move. He can't run. He can't get away from He's not, you know, either one of these other three quarterbacks that are in this, you know, that are in this four-team um, tournament that's left. You know where he's going to be. He's going. He's trying to get it out of his hand on time and on rhythm because he knows that if he's got to pull it down, that more than likely he's going to have to throw it away. And I've seen him make enough mistakes throughout his time in the NFL with under pressure to know that he's never that far away from, you know, making a play that can drastically change the game. Now I'm not taking anything away from him. Happy for him. He deserves everything, you know, that that's coming his way after going through what he's gone through. He's walked through the fire and come out of the other end. Um, but this is just my opinion on how San Francisco is going to have to handle him. They're going to have to get the running game under control, which they do extremely well. And then they're going to have to figure out ways to get to him and and take away his first read. Because if he can hit his first read on when his back foot hits the ground, he's as accurate as anybody else. And he can make every throw down the field, into short to intermediate, you know, from one hash to the other sideline. He can do it all. But if he's under, if he's not under duress, he can do it all. But San Francisco's got to make him feel the pressure. If they can make him feel the pressure, you know, I think the Cinderella song could, you know, go up and smoke pretty quick. What about the coaching side? Because when I see you on your content and during games, you're very direct about coaching decisions. This isn't about mm -hmm player A versus player B, you're taking it to that level. And when you see Kyle Shanahan 
against Dan Campbell. Campbell's never been in this spot as a head coach, obviously. Shanahan has. Is there any advantage? Do you like one of these two coaches more than another? Well, I think that, you know, Dan Campbell has got Aaron Glenn as a defensive coordinator, and he's got Ben Johnson as an offensive coordinator. Um, Kyle Shanahan, you know, has Steve Wilkes as his defensive coordinator, and everyone knows that he is, you know, so much a mastermind of calling his own plays, Kyle Shanahan. So when I look at, you know, when I look at the difference between the two, there's a lot of talk around the NFL, especially in this season of, you know, Black Monday and all these, you know, coaching changes that are transpiring at the time. You know, the question in Philadelphia is, what does Nick Sirianni do? You know, um, because he's got coordinators and he's not calling any plays. A lot of people would ask, what does Dan Campbell do? He's the ultimate motivator for his football team. He makes the tough decisions, but he's a motivator more than he is anything else because he's not he's not coaching any of the three phases on the team while Kyle Shanahan is, you know, and I, I just I, I wonder sometimes, you know, what's the overall reaching, you know, factor of a quarter of, of, a, of a head coach? Is it, you know, his ability to motivate his players? Is it that, you know, defensive coordinator? that um that is a head coach slash you know defensive coordinator is it the offensive coordinator slash head coach um to your point I, I i guess i give the the nod to kyle shanahan because he's been in this position so many times opposed you know opposed to dan campbell just getting there for the first time in his career um this coming sunday um but i'm not so sure i i think the game to me is about the players and the game to me is about, you know, a head coach's ability to get his players prepared and motivated to play at their highest level. Um, both of these coaches have the ability to do that. San Francisco is hungry. Detroit is hungry, not only for themselves, but for the, for a city who's, you know, languished for the last 30 plus years to be in this position. Um, it's going to be a knockdown drag out game, but I, you know, if I had to lean one way or the other, Brad, I'd have to lean in the in the direction of Kyle Shanahan and um and the San Francisco 49ers. I think sometimes Dan Campbell is a little too over aggressive. Mm, mm, that's that's interesting. Uh before I get you out of here, we touched on Mahomes and Kansas City a little bit. Baltimore is a team that you like, and nobody really talks about them outside of Lamar Jackson. And I'm not saying they shouldn't, because to me, that's the MVP of the league, the way that he has played this season. Um, I wrong on that front from your view? Is it McCaffrey, someone else? One, two, just talk about Baltimore from your view and what you see out of the Ravens. Well, I agree with you on Lamar. Um, I saw um, I saw a post somewhere on social media yesterday talking about, you know, that it sh they should have co-MVPs, he and Christian McCaffrey. I love McCaffrey. McCaffrey's missed some games this year. Um, and this is a this is a you know, award that traditionally goes to the quarterback. Mm -hmm. I think hands down Lamar Jackson and what he's been able to do and how he's been able to transform himself in one season and get his team where they are, um, you know, is the hands down um, MVP to me. And that's nothing against Christian McCaffrey. I think he's one of the top five players in the National Football League. That's including, you know, quarterbacks, you know, right now. Um, the guy is just phenomenal what he's able to do at the 
devalued running back position. Um, it's crazy and insane to me, some of these things that these G- GMs and football gurus come up with. Um, as far as the Baltimore Ravens, um, they run the football well. Lamar has passed the ball extremely well this season. They finally got him some weapons at wide receiver. Um, He's done it without this, Mark I, Andrews, too. Mark Andrews has been hurt. He hasn't even had yeah, him. Yeah, I mean, listen. The, the Isaiah Likely kid yeah. is has been a godsend for them, but they're going to get Mark Andrews back next week. So now you're talking about one of the top five, you know, tight ends in the NFL with a guy in Isaiah, Isaiah Likely who's emerging. Now he's going to have two targets from the linebacker, from the you know tight end perspective, and we we know that they have at their disposal that package with tight ends, with multiple tight ends, where they can get extremely physical with you and then play action pass off of it. So that's going to give Kansas City something else to have to worry about because you know they want to be physical. That's the thing about Baltimore on both sides of the football. They are old school in what they do and how they play. I heard Patrick Patrick Queen talk about it early in the season. He said, you know, we're a different type of football team a lot of teams don't want to play the way that we play they want to play this you know basketball on grass type you know type football game and we're just going to hit you in the mouth that's how we play and that's how they play they're extremely physical they got two of the best inside linebackers in the game Kyle Hamilton who you know I was 100% wrong on I mean the way that they've developed this kid out of Notre Dame he is phenomenal I, the, the matchup for me is going to be Kyle Hamilton on Travis Kelsey. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see this, Brad. And they play such a physical brand where, you know, Mahomes and, you know, Kansas City, what they like to do outside of, you know, Isaiah Pacheco, um, they like to play this finesse game. And I've always been coached, you know, by Buddy Ryan that the way that you take care of finesse teams is you hit them in the mouth. It's yeah. the brand of football yeah. that Baltimore plays. What if so you, what if, Seth, Seth? What if you're sitting? You're sitting in let's in a, in a team meeting. You're sitting there preparing. I'm going to take you back to when you played, and you mm-hmm. know you're going to go against Lamar Jackson this week. Defensively, what are you trying to do with Lamar Jackson? What is it you're telling your group? What is it your coaches are telling you? You got to do this with Lamar Jackson. You got to be under control as far as the pass rush is concerned. You know. Because if you have to commit the extra guy to spy him, and nine times out of ten, that doesn't work either, you know, because the guy's over here one minute, over there the next. Mm-hmm. You got to be disciplined in your pass rush. You know, your tackles have got to stay where they're supposed to stay. Your defensive ends can't run up the field and get behind him and open up that tackle and gap. Um, I'd much rather him have – you want him to play from the pocket. You know, that sounds crazy. When you think about the year that he's had and his ability to throw the football, but I would much rather keep him in the pocket than to have him run around because once he starts breaking the pocket, he can throw the ball on the run, but he can also hurt you as far as your his legs are concerned. Yeah, for sure. And the, and the problem is when you get to at some point in, in time in this game, Kansas City is going to have to play some man coverage. Um, if you let him get out of the pocket versus man coverage, everybody's down the field with their back turn except for the safety. He's going to gain 15, 20, maybe 30 yards before the defense can even react to him. So you have to, you have to keep him in the pocket. Um, and that's the most important thing. Now, 
it, it's not going to be easy for them either because Steve Spagnuolo is, in my opinion, one of the best defensive coordinators in the game. He can, you know, dial up pressures, simulated pressures, um, you know, all-out blitzes, things to make you to speed up the clock of quarterbacks. I think, you know, it's impressive what he's able to do because they don't have a lot of stars over there. And I mean, there's one name that you can think of, you know, over there on that on that side of the football. You know, big big 95, he's 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 tough to handle. But other than that, you know, with Jerry Sneed, maybe, you know, he's kind of come to the forefront a little bit at corner. But there's not a lot of household names over there, but they get a he gets a lot out of them because they understand what he wants done and they execute it extremely well. Who's left standing after next Sunday? I think once all said and done, um, you're going to get a rematch of the week 15 or 16 matchup between um, the San Francisco 49ers and the Baltimore Ravens. And I think if you go back, you dig that game up, Baltimore, absolutely, they went to San Francisco and destroyed them, hung 40 on them. Just they beat them in every way possible. Now, I don't think... It's going to be that type of game, but from a psychological standpoint, that's got to weigh pretty darn heavy on the 49ers' mind when they go into that game, understanding how they lost that game. Because it, Lamar Jackson put a lot of points up. He ran all over the place. He did a lot of things that you traditionally don't see quarterbacks do to San Francisco, and they did it in impressive fashion, Brad. I'll let you go off that. I appreciate you. Appreciate your time. It's great to see you doing great things with SethJoyner.com. The defensive coordinator thing with the Eagles, yeah, stick to your day job. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy my day job. It's been a grind to get through, you know, a, a, an 18-week season um, with one playoff game, doing what I'm doing, you know, covering the Eagles, and now it's, you know, relaxation time. You know, once we get through the Super Bowl, I get the chance to go on vacation, get me some sun, some salt, and some sand, seawater, and seawater, some salt, seawater, some seawater, sun, and sand. That's my that's my R and R, Brad. Yeah. You know, if I was if I was coaching, I'd be still grinding away on the next class of guys coming up in the draft. So um, yeah. I enjoy my day job. So it's all good. The sand that he's talking about is on the golf course. Just so we're clear. That too. I, I think I think subconsciously <laughs> that's why I said sand twice. <laughs> there is Seth Joyner, and we're back with more after this timeout. I am actually surprised John Wilner is sitting across from me today because he needs days off. When was the last time you've had just like a chance to catch your breath? Because we go from postseason to recruiting to coaching carousel to coaching circus to and John. Just last week, you and I were sitting here about Jed Fish staying or not staying and a head coach at San Jose State like 10 hours later, it pops up and boom, the whole world. Yeah. So. Well, I don't know. Uh, June, how about June 29th, 2022? <laughs> you know, the day before USC and UCLA announced they were going to the Big Ten, because uh, since then, it has been crazy. And the college football calendar, it's like the NFL calendar now, right? I mean, the NFL targets every month to have a big piece of news, right? Like free agency or the draft, OTAs. College football is the same thing now with the transfer portal, the coaching carousel. Then you're into the NFL draft and spring practice. I mean, it is basically year-round. And you know what? Coaches are not thrilled about that. And 
It'll be interesting to see if the calendar stays the way it is for college football or if they try to adjust, you know, recruiting deadlines, transfer portal to give coaches a little bit of downtime. John Wilner, Wilner Hotline. Of course, you can find his content on Sports360AZ.com and across his network, knows all tells on the college football scene. Uh, who won? U of A with Brennan or Washington with Jed Fish? Great question. Uh, certainly something to track for the next few years. I think it might depend on how you define success, and it's different for those two programs, right? Is Fish going to get Washington into the through the Big Ten and into the college football playoff frequently enough to satisfy the fans in Seattle and their expectations? I'm not sure. Uh, is Brennan going to be able to, I don't know, what satisfies Arizona? Eight wins a year on average? I think he's got a shot. So it to me, it's it it's a little bit more intriguing than you might initially think. Mm-hmm. You look at, oh, well, Arizona just lost a coach that won 10 games and is bringing in a coach that was at San Jose State. So that's a clear net loss for Arizona. I don't know that it is. I think in the short term it is. I think for next year it is because – Arizona lost guys to the transfer portal when Fish left. They're losing continuity to the coaching staff. But I think over the long haul, Arizona may come out as a with a positive because they need continuity, I think. That program has been changing coaches every three years. I think Brennan will provide continuity, which will uh, help them, give them a better chance for consistent success and not those cycles up and down that have kind of defined the program over years. What about the idea that Fafita and McMillan say no to millions of dollars? And we don't know specific schools. It's out there that it was Alabama, but we really don't know. Does this send a message that, you know what, University of Arizona Wildcat football, as you said, this was a one-year deal uh, that Jed was able to do. Is this sustainable now? Have they turned the corner that the narrative will switch from this is a basketball school only to, nope, we actually are a football program. We have a guy that has Dick Tomey pedigree in him. People are going to be more patient. What do you think, John? I think that that transition from basketball school to combo is going to be defined by the longer term and how Brennan does, you know, for the next four or five years. I'm not sure exactly about the McMillan Fafita situation with NIL because so many numbers you hear about with NIL are inflated. Right. But clearly, this is an indication that those guys are loyal to Arizona and Tucson community, that they have liked what they've heard from Brennan so far, and that they think that they can win next year. Look, Arizona has every reason to believe they can win the Big 12. It's not, uh, you know, it's not the SEC. It's not the Big 10. Uh, it's not even the ACC and that you don't have a Clemson or Florida State standing there, right? Arizona is going to come into the season as one of the favorites. And those guys are looking at it like they could get in the playoff next year if mm-hmm. they win the Big 12. So I think it's not one thing or the other with those two, but it's a combination and it's the vibe in Tucson. It's the support they're feeling from the community. It's the the loyalty they feel to the school. And look, Arizona's got a great chance next year. I don't think we should necessarily, you know, uh, consider what this means for the future of the Brennan program. But certainly, certainly for the in, initial momentum, it's crucial. Um, I want to switch over on the UCLA-USC side uh, and just go on this angle with USC. So Caleb Williams, 
Finally, I don't know why he waited all the way to the very last day. And there's some people in the NFL that were put off by that. Like, you know, you're going to turn pro. But he did this past week. And then Cliff Kingsbury's name is associated with the Chicago Bears. The Bears have the number one overall pick. You've seen Caleb Williams. You've also seen Michael Penix. You've seen Jaden Daniels. In your mind, is Caleb Williams the clear number one overall pick in the draft this April at quarterback? I think he is, and, and Drake May from North Carolina is way up there, too. He's got a lot of support from scouts. Uh, and Bo Nix, I've seen Bo Nix projected as a first-round pick. Uh, I think Williams is clearly the number one prospect. I think he's the best quarterback prospect in many years because of his ability to create in the pocket, be accurate downfield, with you know the so-called off-schedule throws, mm-hmm. everything breaks down. You got to make something out of nothing. He and his arm angles that he can deliver the ball from. Look, you can't compare him to Patrick Mahomes, but you can compare his style to that the Mahomes model, where it's just he he's better when it's chaos, right? And there and there's very few players that are like that. The more success, I mean. I think Mahomes' win yesterday, you know, that just well, – as good as he is, I think that helps Caleb Williams' brand with the NFL uh, GMs because they they look at that as an apt comparison. If I'm the Bears, I would I would trade Justin Fields and I would I would pick Caleb Williams and, and commit to him, whether it's Kingsbury or not. I don't know, but certainly Kingsbury has the same basic philosophy as – Lincoln Riley, right, both from the Mike Leach school. And we've seen how well Williams has done under Riley. So it would make some sense that the Bears would consider Kingsbury as well. Go across town. There's been some stories that Chip Kelly, UCLA head coach, is being considered for an offensive coordinator. I don't know how much that stuff is to, to leave UCLA and go into the NFL. I don't know how much of that is agent rattling sabers, what's going on behind the scenes. What do you make out of that story that popped up at the end of last week? Well, there have been rumors that Chip was interested in an NFL coordinator job for several weeks. Uh, and there are either six or seven NFL head coaching jobs open, which means that there are a bunch of opportunities uh, to be an offensive coordinator. I also wondered if he wasn't thinking about joining Ohio State as Ryan Day's offensive coordinator. Those guys are pretty close friends. Uh, the bottom line is nobody's quite sure how much Chip wants to be US, uh, UCLA's head coach, mm. right? I don't, they don't have, they're not going to have a great team next year. They're losing a lot of guys. They're going into the Big Ten. It's going to be hard. Their schedule is ridiculous. They got LSU on the road, Penn State on the road. They're playing. They got to go to Rutgers, which just won a bowl game. Then they got to play USC, Oregon, and Washington. You you look at the depth chart, you look at the schedule, and you think, man, that's a that's a five and seven season. That's a four and eight season. Does Chip want to deal with that? The money's not critical for him, so you do wonder if uh, I've heard it from enough people who would know to think that there is some legitimacy to it. I don't I'm not saying he is going to leave UCLA mm-hmm. for the NFL. But I think that he's thinking about it. It's really interesting. Uh, before I get you out of here, midpoint, let's switch over to hoops. Midpoint of Pac-12 play. What jumps out at you at this point of the season? Uh, mediocrity, right? I mean, Arizona's real good. 
But at home, other than that, at home, they're really good. At home, they're really good. True. Yeah. True. Uh, the conference is, you know, headed for sending three teams to the NCAA tournament, maybe four. It's not a great league. It hasn't been a great league in a long time. Uh, I think the number one reason for that is the coaching is mediocre and the schools have not, they haven't necessarily put the commitment of resources into Ben's basketball that they did into football. You could understand that football is more important. You know, two, three years ago, Pac-12 football was bad. You have to make that your priority. But at some point, these schools have got to start focusing on getting men's basketball fixed, especially going into their new leagues, right? Uh, it's not a good product. It hasn't been a good product for a long time. Uh, you look at the NBA draft numbers. You look at the recruiting uh, ratings, and the rec- they've recruited well, but the, the, it doesn't translate to being good on the court during the season. And you look at how poorly they did in non-conference, do you think, you know what, this conference isn't very good. The offense is bad. The coaching isn't really good. It's going to get three teams in the NCAA. You know, it's not not very inspiring. Not what it was in football, for sure. I'll let you go for that. I appreciate your time and insight, as always, John. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Brad. And we're back with more after this timeout.